0: Brian Cheely joins me today to talk about some challenges of managing software teams and how to handle them. However, we end up talking about a lot of skills that are excellent for software engineers as well as managers. This episode is sponsored by Rollbar. Rollbar is the leading platform that enables developers to proactively discover and resolve issues in their code, allowing them to work on continuous code improvement throughout the software development lifecycle. Rollbar has plans for all situations from free to large enterprise. With Rollbar, developers deploy better software faster and can quickly recover from critical errors as they happen. Learn more at rollbar.com. Thanks, Rollbar. Welcome to Test and Code. Today on Testing Code, I've got Ryan Cheeley. is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. You, you I just got to ask right. you about it. But yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and welcome to the show. I'm excited to talk about. We're going to talk about managing software
1: teams. As you said, my name is uh, Ryan Cheely. I work for a medical services organization in Southern California called Desert Oasis Healthcare. Uh, Desert Oasis Healthcare is part of a larger organization called Heritage Provider Network, which has uh, 10 organizations in California, one in Arizona, one in New York, and one in Colorado. I actually, uh, my official title is Regional Director of Business Informatics. And I get to manage teams in both Arizona and California in Southern California. Um, and I've been with the organization for a little more than 13 years now. I started off as a project analyst and moved my way up the uh, organizational ladder, uh, working as an individual contributor on a couple of, uh, development teams and then supervisor, manager, director. And so, yeah, it's been a a lot of fun. I've learned a lot of things. I've done a lot of things incorrectly (laughs) so that I can kind of uh, talk about those and help people maybe not make some of the same mistakes. But uh, I think I've done some, some things pretty well too. So,
0: yeah. Oh, that's cool. So what's your uh, official title? Are you a director?
1: Uh, Yeah. Regional director of business informatics and the regional is because I get to hang out with people in Arizona in our office in Chandler, which is right outside of Phoenix. Um, and okay. pre-pandemic, I used to get to go out and and, and hang out there for a, a couple days uh, a month, uh, and, and so yeah, yeah. But now it's all remote
0: because of a fluke of uh, what red tape and stuff. Um, uh, for a short period of time, maybe six months, um, I normally I'm my job title is team lead, but there was some some change in the org chart system. And I was officially and all of the all the team leads in my uh, group were officially uh, directors of directors of something for a while, which was (laughs) neat. It didn't change my job any, but I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm director of software engineering, mobile radio test It was such a mouthful. (laughs) But that was my title. Wow. Um, uh, It was fun. And then uh, and then I think some people some people that were actual directors where they were directing other supervisors and managers. Got upset, and you know yeah. now now I'm back to team lead. It's, it's less highfalutin, but yeah, yeah it's all right. Probably more <laughs> fun though.
1: <laughs> more <laughs> accurate, maybe.
0: Um, so you've done. Uh, you're you're both uh, you're both a. Do so you you manage not just software people, but you also manage people that manage software people? Yes. Right. Yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah. Um, and there's probably challenges in both of those.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, different sets of challenges with um, managing supervisors that manage people. The types of questions and mentoring that occurs there isn't so much about uh, how to do day to day sorts of activities. You know, I've got the the two supervisors that, that report to me. One is the the web development supervisor. The other one is a report development supervisor, and they tend to ask questions more about like how to motivate their team. Um, you know any sorts of of, of questions about uh, you know uh, administrative sorts of things like PTO requests and using all of those administrative uh, applications throughout an organization. That when you're an individual contributor, it looks one way, and when you're a supervisor above, it looks a different way because suddenly you can see a whole bunch of stuff for you know more than one person. So those are the types yeah. of questions that that they'll ask me um, about administrative things, but they'll also ask questions about. Um, organizational uh, uh, directions and, and those kinds of things. Like, what is it that we're trying to, to move towards? What are the types of projects we should be focusing on? Um, I, some of the, the best conversations I've had have been with uh, uh, the web development uh, supervisor about like new technologies that we can try to implement and use. Uh, we're a Microsoft shop, so everything is uh, uh, Microsoft-focused. Uh, I, I try to get bits of Python in where I can. And we're really kind of hoping to get some, some Django in there at some point, but there's uh, lots of, of inertia you have to overcome with uh, implementing new technology stacks in any organization. So, but, but, but those are, yeah. are fun things. Um, and I mean, you know, the, the, so I don't get so much into the, you know, how am I going to implement a particular class or a particular web view or, Whatever with the web development team, I tend to have more of a hands-on in the report development, just because that's where I feel more comfortable technically on the stack that we use. Uh, I've been writing SQL for you know, ten or fifteen years now, so when those types of questions come up about, well, how do I do these types of joins, or you know, even code reviews, I love doing code reviews. Like it's one of my favorite things, and and when I can do it, uh, I, I do because it's an opportunity for me to learn from the the. The person writing the SQL, it's an opportunity for me to keep my skills sharp in terms of, like, oh, wow, I didn't know about that particular function inside of SQL because we just upgraded to SQL Server 2016 or whatever, and there's new, new features in there. So, like, those are the types of questions and, and, and things that I guess I focus on for the uh, supervisors. Um, you know, one of the, the things that, that came up, uh, both of these supervisors started off as individual contributors. And then we're promoted yeah. up to, to to being a supervisor, and so, um, and and that happened for me too. You know, my, my happened for me like ten years ago, and um, it the 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 thing that 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 happened for me was that like I got promoted and I kind of turned off all sense of humanity. Uh, was the feedback I got from my boss? Uh, she had said, you know, Ryan, you need to be a person, uh, and then people will be more apt to to want to to, to follow you where you want to take them. And I was like, oh, all right, then. And so with these two new supervisors, that was something that I really stressed with them in like even before they got promoted was, Hey, remember you're, you're about to embark on an entirely different path. You're not going to be yeah. just an individual contributor. You've got things that you need to, to continue to do, but don't forget that you're still a person and that these are people that you've worked with for, you know, one year, five years, 10 years, however long that, that you've been with the organization and they've been with the organization. So. Don't forget to, to to maintain that sense of humanity. That that sense of I'm a person, you're a person. We're both working on a team together towards a common goal. It just so happens that now you're the person that's kind of directing the you know where they're going to go and what they're going to be working on. So,
0: yeah, and there's difficult stuff too. I mean, the there is the directing what people do or or help, or at least um, ha- having a hand in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also what it's there's difficulties when somebody that used to be your coworker, now you're the one that has to say you're not being productive enough or you're you're in, in a code review you were too mean to that other person or, Mm. you know, the corrective stuff is difficult to,
1: to, to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean the, the for, I, I don't know if, if I've just been extremely lucky or, that the 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 culture has just been one such that we've been really open and honest with our code reviews and really being like this is never about you the person who wrote the code this is about the code that was written by you the person and they're two distinct different things and so i've never been in a in a a part of a code review where i was like oh gosh that was that was really mean of them to say but It's because everything is prefaced with the, we want to make the code as good as possible, and we all want to learn from this experience. And so we kind of, like initially, that was kind of one of the the things of just remembering. The point of the code review isn't to talk about whether or not the person who wrote the code is good or bad. The point of the code review is to talk about, is the code doing the thing that it needs to do, doing it in the way that it needs to do it, and doing it in the most efficient way possible? And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But then that yeah. always kind of level set the expectations for the people on the team. And I know that they don't necessarily you know have that caveat or that, that step, that opening statement so much anymore, because everyone kind of understands it. But with the newer team members that have joined, like that's something that really has to be emphasized is that this isn't about you. This isn't about you as a person. This is about the code that was written. So, and, and yeah, that, th- 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 I that guess that's th- an
0: interesting thing to, to say that we have, you have to, you have to set expectations within the team of what a code review is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know what the tone is. It's about the code. It's not about the person. And mm-hmm. we're trying to uh, create a piece of software that all of us are proud of and maintain. Right. The, the, the other thing is um, I don't know if you guys talk about it is like how, how long should a code review be? Do we expect, is it, is it something that's just getting mostly get a few comments and, uh, approved within a day or is it something that that might take a week
1: to, to nail down how things are looking? Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on the scope of the change. Most code reviews tend to be done um, in within a day of the code review, having been requested. And they take anywhere from 15 minutes to like a half hour because the changes aren't like these big monolithic changes it's it's hey we did the small thing um come and check to make sure that the code that i did like meets the standards and does the thing that's supposed to do uh, run any test suite that might be on it and we've got from a web development perspective we've got uh, three different applications that we support one is a legacy uh, vb.net system that has no tests on it. Like you're kind of rolling the dice when you make a change as to whether or not something's going to break in production, <laughs> and it's really scary, right? I mean, yeah. those are the those are the code reviews that tend to take the longest because you really have to wrap your mind around, like, well, what is it that just happened? Um, and we try not to do any new development on that platform and just bug fixes, and it's basically in maintenance mode. Um, like I I did a, a code review on a report uh, update. Uh, last week, and it was like an hour and a half to get through. But it was like seven reports, and there was a lot of SQL changes that were going on, and you know, and, and that was that was intense because of a whole bunch of of, of different reasons. Like the the we, we store almost all of our uh, uh, SQL stored procedures in a version control system, but the ones that I was working on didn't happen to be in that version control system. And I had made all these changes. And so I had to basically scaffold up a, a local Git version on my desktop to be able to show the differences to the developer I was going to review it with. And so that was a, a, a bigger a bigger challenge there. But coming back to your original question, sorry, sometimes I ramble. <laughs> um, <laughs> they take anywhere from 15 minutes up to an hour and a half, just depending on the complexity.
0: Okay, but but people, you know, I guess that's some, something to, to, to let people know. We kind of expect everybody to, to if you're requested to do a review, we expect expected to look at it within a day. Yeah. Um, and, and then also, but, and if you do a major change, a bunch of changes, uh, it might, there's going to be more comments and then there might be a while to get it through and that's fine. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, and like you said, just trying to have that sense within the team that, the the purpose of this is so that we we're it's all maintained in code and we're uh, we all know what's going on,
1: right? Um, it, uh, it, so one it, one of the things that that I, I read I don't even remember when it was, um, but it really hit home with me is that code is written once and read tens if not hundreds of times, and so like keeping that as a like in the back of your brain when you're writing code because. Our legacy application, every time anyone goes into it, it's just, you know, it's like trying to trudge yeah. through quicksand and you think you've got it and then you don't. And so, but keeping that in, in mind for all of our, our newer applications of like, hey, we're going to be reading this a whole bunch of times. And so that's a, a big part of the code review too, is like if you can't understand what you're reading during the code review within like oh, a couple of days of the change having been made as a, as a code reviewer, just imagine what it's going to be like in six months when the person who wrote the code doesn't remember what they did either. (laughs) So, you know, that's just, that's an important part. And that's a a big feedback cycle that we have. uh, We try to implement as well.
0: And I I try to emphasize that as well with uh, especially with tests, test code, Mm -hmm. because, um, because people read it when they're already stressed out. Um, (laughs) the, The reason why you read some test code is because it's failing and you don't know why it's failing, and you're trying to do something else, and this test is in your way. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, so making tests very readable so that people know what you're checking, why you're checking it, uh, because it, it people will, some people will have a tendency sometimes to say, "I don't even know why this test is here. It doesn't seem to be helping anything." I'll just comment it, and right. you don't want that. So, uh, uh, not a good thing. Or just you know we'll put a skip marker on it. It's not commented out. It's just being skipped. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, anyway, but uh, one line change fixed it. Um, so right. Uh, but okay. So code reviews. We talked about that a little bit. Um, you, since you've been both been a a, a manager of uh, individual contributors and a manager of managers. So what are some um, other than code reviews and stuff? What are some of the challenges that the, of being of managing software teams, and you know, have you overcome this?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, one of the, the the big ones is, I guess, developers. I think are some of the most creative people, right? A lot of the the way that that the 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 education system is structured, I think, is kind of wrong in that respect. Like, there are these super creative sorts of things, like writing code, doing math, that they get put into like these sciencey sorts of categories. And so there's the College of Liberal Arts where all of the historians and the writers go. And there's the College of Science and Math, and that's where we put all the math people. And we never have that expectation that they're going to cross paths. But like writing software, it's it's an inherently creative process. You are given a problem that you then need to solve, right? Yeah. And so much of that that can be difficult for like anyone is, well, having a full understanding of what the problem is. And so one of the things that I think is super important when you're talking to either the the supervisors or managers of, of software teams or individual contributors of software teams is helping them to understand what problem is it that we're trying to solve? And that's a question I'll ask a lot of times, like what from a requester, what problem is it that you're trying to solve? Because a lot of times requesters will come and say, here is the solution that I want you to implement. We're like, okay. And whenever that happens, because we don't fundamentally understand the problem, we offer up the solution that was given to us, but it doesn't solve the real problem because the requester doesn't necessarily know all of the different things that could be done they just know about the thing that they want to have fixed. Um, yeah. And so kind of uh, coming back to, to, to that, the, the the thing of knowing what the problem is, and then anytime you as a software developer or supervisor or, or whatever, anytime you make a decision about a thing, know why you made that decision, right? So you're going through, you're writing some code, and uh, the problem you've get, been given is to keep track of um, the, the testing results for COVID, uh, for COVID tests that have been given work in healthcare. Like that was a big thing for the last couple of years is trying to keep track of those kinds of things. And, uh, a question, uh, you know, you're, you're, trying to, to, to track these, these COVID, uh, positive, th- these COVID tests, positive or negative, and you go in and all you're doing is, is saying, is it positive or is it negative? And so it's, it's a bit, right? It's binary. It's Boolean. Yes, no, right? But those yeah. aren't the only two states of a COVID test. It could be undetermined. So if I come back to you and say, well, why did you only do the two? You say, well, because there's only two possibilities. You're either positive or you're not positive. It's like, oh, okay. Well, you don't know that there's a third state. All right, well, let me explain to you why it is that there's a third state. And so that learning process of making sure that people know why they did the thing that they did, but then helping them to understand it. And you can only get to that understanding if you know why they did what they did. There's nothing more frustrating than ask someone, "Well, why did you do this?" And they're like, "I don't know." <laughs> it's like, okay, all right. Well, then let's try to figure that out so that you can, like, next time know why you made the decision that you made. And that's that's a big thing that I, I really I try to emphasize with my team. It's like you're not always going to make the right decision, but that's okay if you know why you made the decision that you made, because then it offers up a learning opportunity for you, for me, for the team, for everybody. And then we get better as a team when we learn from the mistakes that we've made. But we can only learn from the mistakes that we've made if we know why we did them. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, it's one of the things that I read once of, of code comments and you know block comment stuff to describe why, not what, because the mm-hmm. code shows you what, um, right? And the why often gets lost. Uh, and I've, I I try to do. Yeah. So I try to get the why in comments and also in, uh, uh, in, uh, in related documents around the code, but sometimes those can get lost and in commit messages, but those also can get lost. Uh, especially if people are squashing, um, uh, yeah. things like that. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, interesting. Um, what problem are you trying to solve? I, I often get to, to because I, I wrote, uh, write about testing a lot. I often get, well, how do I, how do I test this thing? And I, I, ask back um well if you weren't writing an automated test how would you know if it was working or not i don't know well then you can't write an automated test <laughs> <laughs> you have to get past the i don't know first right and then we can talk about how autom- how you
1: can automate that <laughs> right. no that's a that's a really yeah. good point yeah uh,
0: but um so the uh knowing what problem you're trying to solve that's a it's a good one just to, so that's a good question just to ask people so you know,
1: I need help with something. Well, what are you trying to do? Right. Um, good place oh, yeah. to start. Yeah. No, and it's um, one of the, uh, uh, um, th- there's a, a woman named uh, Julia Evans. She goes by the uh, handle B0RK on Twitter. Um, and she she writes some amazing stuff. She's got some great zines out there to help explain just really complicated things. But there were two posts that she wrote about how to ask questions and how to answer questions. And that was something that I shared with my team because knowing how to help our requesters ask better questions of us helps us deliver better solutions. But then also for us to know how to answer questions internally of each other is also important because, you know, there's, there's so much, I think, institutional knowledge that just gets stuck in someone's head, right? Like, oh, well, Brian is the guy that does XYZ and Ryan is the guy that does ABC. It's like, well yeah. that's awesome, but is it written down anywhere? If someone needed to cover for Brian while he was out, could anyone do it? And that was one thing that when I I got onto my my current team, like it was sorely lacking. There were lots of holes and it was like, well, but that's just what so and so does. Okay, well, let's write it down so we know how they do it. We know why they do it because that's a big reason too. Like, why do they do this thing? Because they've always done it. Okay, <laughs> well, but, oh, but like, what's yeah. the what's the what's the actual business decision imperative for why it's being done? Because once you understand that, then you can really try to figure out like how you can automate stuff because that's a, a big thing that that, that we do. That my team doesn't work because I've got report developers, I've got web developers, but I've also got data and automation developers, and there's they, they just they figure out how to automate stuff that people like they got to go and push buttons. Like, well, that seems silly to have someone go and push a button when it could be automated because it's a computer.
0: Yes. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, also, the 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 logic around like what was the what was the reasoning for this? What was the the problem that we're trying to solve? It's important because sometimes, like, sometimes those things change and we can go, Oh, that situation is no longer here. We're trying, it was, this was a workaround for this system XYZ. We don't use that anymore. The system we have now doesn't have the same problem. So we don't, right, we don't need to do those steps anymore. And
1: yeah. one of the things that I find is super helpful in trying to, to really make that come home is by, by t- storytelling. My last, not my current boss, my, my boss before she, um, Uh, She was I I report to the CFO at my organization. I'm in the finance division. I'm not in like the IT division, which is, you know, uh, maybe a topic for another time. But one of the things uh, that she uh, really uh, impressed upon me was like being able to tell stories to help people understand, you know, just various aspects of the business, whether it's technical, health related finance stuff, whatever. If you can tell stories, then people have a better understanding of like why it is that you're doing what you're doing. And one of the stories that you know you hear is, well, if I'm going to cook a roast, I have to cut off both ends. And you know, then you ask, well, why do you do that? Like, I don't know. My mom always did it that way. So you call mom and you ask mom, hey, mom, why do we cut off both ends of the roast? She's like, I don't know, because my mom did it. So you call grandma and you ask grandma, hey, grandma, why did you cut off both ends of the roast when you're going to cook it? She's like, oh, because the pan wasn't big enough for the roast. So I had to make it fit. (laughs) Like, Oh, I love that. Okay. Uh, Okay. But then, you know, so when you ask people, why do you do this thing? And kind of to your point, like when stuff changes, that's not necessarily always communicated or communicated well enough for everyone to understand what it means for that change to have occurred. And so knowing why you did it why are you cutting off the ends of the roast is to get it to fit in the pan. Well, but my pan's big enough now. I don't need to do that anymore. I'm just wasting roast. <laughs> so I love that.
0: Um, that's a great story. Also, I, I'm just thinking of like side, uh, I should probably write a book on like, how to, like how to be a bad manager. Um, <laughs> cause, uh, Cause not that I'm a bad manager, but I always think about like these side things, like, like one rule of thumb might be, um, only when somebody asks you a question, make sure that your answer is at least a half an hour long um, that way they they can only ask you at most two questions an hour um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's amazing.
1: I've seen the email equivalent of that <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yeah, so we so people will really be careful about asking you questions if they know they're going to get a story out of it uh, right but uh, or they'll love it. they're like, oh, I just need a story today. I'm going to go ask my boss a question right uh, so anyway no that this but the storytelling actually kind of that it's to be honest it makes things sink in because i'll always remember that and i'll always remember like the oh the situation's changed now we have a bigger pan we don't have to do that i this and you see this in legacy code all the time why are we doing this i don't know i wasn't the one that wrote it i'm just maintaining it um okay well who wrote it I don't know because we changed version control systems about five years ago and we lost all of our history. Okay. Well, bummer. Uh, so um,
1: yeah, yeah, things like yeah, that Yeah there, there, there's, um, there's a scheduling application we have at work and there were a couple of fields that were captured. One was um, deceased date. You know so you call someone to do a, a schedule uh for for an appointment and you find out that, th- that they've passed and so you want to indicate that so that the membership records can get updated but one of the questions that was part of that was where did they die <laughs> and I thought well, that's that's a weird thing why would you why is that important yeah <laughs> and we're converting this this scheduling system to our, our newer platform because uh, we have to and as we were going through it the developer was just taking what was there and putting it into the new one and I we did a, uh, like a demo. And I, why are we asking that question? And he said, well, because it was on the last one. I said, well, but I'm almost sure there's nowhere for that information to get put in any one of our systems. And it's got to be kind of awkward to just ask on the phone, okay, I'm really sorry to hear that so-and-so passed. Can you tell me where they passed? I don't know that <laughs> well, I would want to answer that. And so you I, know, we kind of got down into it and sure enough, like it wasn't anything that, it was information that's essentially being ignored. No one is using it, so there's no reason to port it over to the new system. Really? And there's no there's no documentation as to why it was asked in the first place. It might have just been a nice to know sort of thing that then got institutionalized into the well, but we always ask. But no one like the code wasn't commented. The original person who wrote the code, any of the, the specifications on the document, like it was all gone. Like no one knows no one knows why the system is built the way that it's built because it's gone through like three transitions in the time that we've had it. So yeah. there's just this field like oh okay. But, you know, getting back to the, why do we ask this question? I I don't know because grandma always cut off both ends of the.
0: But also like even like some of that stuff, it's interesting. you were talking about keeping the human aspect of becoming a manager, but also we're creating software systems. I think it's worthwhile for even, even people that are asked with just automate this thing or create this new web form to ask back, really, should we be doing this? Because if I, if, if I was, if my parent passed away or something and you contacting me about something, I, I don't want to answer. Like, I don't even know what you at, what you mean by where Do you mean, right. like what city or what room of the house or, you know, right. I don't know how to answer that. Right. And then also the date, like why, why we need to know why, because somebody might ask like they're dead, just deal with it. Uh, right. Uh, b- right. Um, but, uh, but I don't know why, why did we need the the, the date uh, maybe so that you can verify that. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah. So interesting. Uh, but oh, now I got off on a tangent, but,
1: <laughs> but, but that, that I mean, you you're, you're, you're exactly right though. The, 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 the human parts of like software development and using that that critical thinking of like, well, why do you need to collect this information? In this particular case, it's like something that's a little, you know, a, a little touchier because it has to do with the, the the passing of someone that you may be close with, but, you know, also just asking the question of like, well, okay, why are we collecting this information? What are we going to do with it from this web form? Yeah. Um, you know, like how, how does that impact other parts of the system and, and, and truly like understanding, but then that gets back to the, the, the bigger question of like, what problem are you trying to solve?
0: Well, then one of the other, uh, one of the things I've seen, um, that it's a little less touchy is software defect tracking systems. Uh, often they'll, one of the common things is like right out of the box, whatever system you're using, it'll ask for us. There's a summary field and a larger descriptive field. Um, but then you can customize it, and a lot of companies or projects or teams will put in a whole bunch of other fields, and um, and I I often push back on that of like you know if if I need to put information in there I'll put it in there, um, and also just to make sure the fields aren't required because mm-hmm. if it's required you need to make sure that in all situations people know how to answer that, and in in a lot of a lot sometimes. Uh, I don't know is really the right answer, and it, people don't like writing that in there. So, making a field option is probably better. Yeah. Forcing people to say "I don't know," for sure. Um, but, uh, but the other, one of the things you mentioned uh, was this: um, this how to ask a question, how to answer questions. One of the things I found, not just as a manager, but also a software developer, um, is learning learning where the resources are to find answers. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then knowing the things that I can't find out on my own, um, to be able to, when, the, when, when I'm talking about a problem or somebody's out, you know, we're in a meeting with you know, lots of people and people, somebody's describing what needs to be done to be able to be thinking about all of the things you, all the information you need to implement it, and then coming back and being able to ask a question that really needs to be answered right then or soon, um, those skills actually, it doesn't, I, I, I try to emphasize this with everybody. It doesn't make you look dumb. It actually makes you look smart. Um, for sure. To, to be able to, uh, to ask questions that maybe somebody hasn't thought about. Um, and while they're thinking about a solution being necessary, is the right time for them to think about like, okay, you're asking me to do this thing. We don't have some of this information. Where are we going to get that information from?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that I think is one of the underappreciated parts about, well, a lot of software development, whether it's, you know, a web form development or, you know, web application or reports, the number of times that people will ask for data that we simply don't have, and there's no mechanism to collect it. It's like, well, we can't write a report that does that because we don't know any of that information because it's not collected and there's no way for us to collect it. So we would have to build the way to collect it before we could even begin to think about asking questions of that data in the first place. Um, Interesting. And that's, that's, that's I mean, um, th- that's a, a big part of what we do is trying to figure out, well, where does this data live? If it lives anywhere, what's the source of truth? How do we get that into a spot where we can leverage it to be able to, you know, make our web forms? I mean, because we've got lots of different systems internally, um, either vendor supplied or, or uh, in, you know, internally built, and we need to integrate those systems in ways that help people most effectively do what it is they need to do. You know, every time I hear that someone has to have, you know, not just several different browser tabs open, but several different browsers open because one application is only supported on Internet Explorer, one application only supported in Edge, one application only supported in Chrome. You know, it just it, it makes me crazy because it's like, well, why can't we do something about that? And, you know, it turns out we usually can it just as a matter of having the people to be able to do it. Um, you know, that's that's the, the, the other big thing about managing software teams is that once you have an internal software team is that everyone wants to use the people on that software team to solve their particular problem and it may not be you know an imperative of the organization that that particular problem is solved in a software driven sort of way it may just be an Excel solution you know uh, yeah. and people don't necessarily like to hear that answer because using Excel can be harder for them than it would be otherwise um, you know I I, I had a conversation with a group um, where they were talking about needing to generate out a report, but there wasn't anything to collect the data yet. It's like, well, we'd have to to build something, and we went through a, a solution that was already built inside of our EHR. And the person had said, "Well, I just don't really know if this is going to, you know, serve our needs." You know, uh, Ryan, can you and your team build something? And I said, "Yeah, we can." But something you got to remember is that the solution inside of the EHR you could start using next week. If we want to build a solution, I don't have people to do that for six months. So if you want to solve the problem right now, like here is the solution to solve it right now. But if you want to wait six months and keep doing Excel, we can totally do that too. And it's just trying to get people to to understand that the the, the software resources, the software development resources, they aren't infinite, right? And there's always something that someone wants to have done. And there's already current projects that are being worked on and just trying to move through all of those things. And so that's a a big part of like managing the, the, the teams as well. It's not just, managing the teams but managing organizational expectations about what's even possible to do given the resource constraints that we have and you know one of the great things uh, that that uh, has come out of the pandemic is the remote nature of uh, or is the is really showcasing that development teams can be fully remote like that was a big thing for a long time was that like oh well, we don't have remote people at work and now we've all been remote for two years <laughs> You know, and we're just as effective, if not more effective, as we were two years ago.
0: So, what was the? What was the? Were you in cubicles before? Or?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it was a um, a large a large office building with high ceilings and low low cubicle walls, and you know, developers that um, it, it was not the the best space for developers, quite honestly. But I, I mean, as I said, I, I work in the finance division, and so it was like. Software developers, some analysts, and then claims examiners, and so there wasn't a good space for the software developers to get together necessarily and talk through problems like you would want to, of like turning around and saying to one of your coworkers, "Hey, can you come take a look at this? I'm having a problem with it." You'd have to go into a conference room where it was quieter because, like, it just needed to be quiet in the room for the the claims examiners, and that was that was really hard. But then, you know, moving home. you know and and, and implementing uh, screen sharing like slack or um or zoom or any one of another uh, any one of a number of different uh, uh you know remote yeah. sorts of uh, video conferencing software like that really helped because suddenly you know you don't have to worry about how loud you are for anyone else in the room because it's just you in an office at your house most likely
0: and you're using your keyboard with your setup all your mm-hmm. stuff i mean we had a similar situation where we had um we we didn't have to be quiet for any particular reason, but i i didn't it it was disruptive so if you start talking with somebody and you're working on a problem together for an hour the mm-hmm. six people in the room or, or six or eight people are gonna hear you and they're like are they kind of affected by their productivity so right. we had these 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 conference rooms that had all screens and computer and uh keyboards and stuff set up so that worked there but it's not your setup. So it's, it's more difficult to do. And also the, you know, the angle of the screen, it might be off the side. It's more difficult. Um, the, the, one of the things that I, one of the challenges with working remote though, is to encourage that, encourage people to say, um, uh, you don't, everybody's working. So if you, if you need some help with something, just ask, say, Hey, can you take a look at something? And then just, trying to get in the habit of doing that more often because it's healthy to be able to say, can I just grab you for 20 minutes and talk you through what I'm going?" You know, I've got a a solution that I, I think is going okay, but I, maybe I'm going in the wrong direction. I just like somebody else's
1: eyes for a minute. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think like that is one of the hardest things is trying to encourage that collaborative nature when everyone's dispersed, you know, and really like, one of the things that my team does every morning is we have, you know, we do um, agile-like sorts of things. You know, no one seems to be truly agile because everyone says, oh, well, you're not doing it right. <laughs> but that's that's a whole other thing. And so every morning we have our our, our stand-up. Um where we have we do it on Zoom, we've all got our cameras on, we all talk through the three questions. we we do a, a couple of other things like reviewing all the issues that came through the day before. And so that's like the report and data development and the web developers have their own um, stand up that they do where they essentially do a lot of the same things. But just seeing your coworkers' faces every morning like is super helpful in terms of then being less afraid to reach out to someone because you saw their friendly face that morning. you know, yeah. you, you you get a better sense of knowing them. And tools like Slack or Discord or, or whatever it is that, that you happen to have where you can just, you know, push a button and then it, it rings someone on the other side. And then you're suddenly just talking with them as though you're on the phone without having to have a phone. Like yeah. that part is super helpful as well. Cause you can do some screen sharing and write stuff down and, and, and do all those things, but really encouraging the team to, 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 to use those tools and not just for. Like work-related things. When you're physically in an office, you can run into someone in the br- in the break room at the water cooler, and you have yeah. a 10 or 15 minute conversation about like sports or the weather or you know music or whatever. But that that's not there so much in the remote. And so, like setting up channels on 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 Slack or Discord that uh, really encourage that sort of non-work related things, I think is super important because that helps to keep people engaged. It helps people to to. To know each other, and you know, I think a difficulty in bringing uh, and managing people uh, in in a remote setting is like someone's brand new. How do you get them to meet everybody on the team? How do you get them to know who everyone on the team is and what they do and what types of questions you can potentially go to them and, and ask them? And you know, part of that is the onboarding process, but part of that is also just having these open channels of communication where someone can put something in a channel and be like, "I need help," and any one of a number of people be like, "Oh yeah, I can help you with that."
0: Yeah, I think that that's a great idea, and also, um, I guess utilizing—I'd uh, like to utilize a uh, work in progress uh, pull requests too. A lot mm. to say. Um, I'd just like some feedback on this, and then encouraging people to say if you're not comfortable just talking through it with a code review, we'll just do a just do a Zoom call or something and and walk through uh, walk through the code together. Um, yeah especially if you have a lot of questions of like, why is this doing that? Why are we doing this? What's going on right. here? Right. Um, the, but those are challenges. But I definitely think that, uh, man, I'm, I I feel way more productive being able to just be home.
1: Plus, oh, yeah. uh, you,
0: you know, like you said, uh, software people are creative people or so often are. And um, that's sort of an ebb and flow kind of thing. It, I can't dictate that I'm going to be creative at particular hours of the day. So I think it's good to be able to feel a little bit flexible
1: with time. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's a super important piece of of that flexibility. But one thing that I, I think is is also super important is like being being creative like that. You know, you can sit down for 12 hours in a day and then you wake up and you're like, I haven't eaten today. I haven't gotten out of my chair today. Where did today go? <laughs> right. I hope but, not. But Like, well, yeah, me me too. But so one of the things that I I really advocate for my team is like, don't put in more than eight hours in a day if you you can help it, right? Don't put in more than 40 hours in a week if you can help it. If we have a big project we got to get through and there's a deadline for it, yeah, we'll have to to work some overtime or whatever. But, you know, come in, do do everything you can that day do to the best of your ability. But just remember, it's still going to be here tomorrow. There's no reason. You're never going to finish all of it. And (laughs) like, that's... That's for both individual contributors and for supervisors, because the supervisors, I mean, you know, you, you kind of talked about it. It's like, well, you have these competing senses of what it is they should be doing, right? Is it the the management piece or is it the, the engineering piece? And it's like, well, it's both, but it's still gonna be here tomorrow. <laughs> so don't kill yourself today.
0: Uh that was something that we I think we talked about before we started recording. But yeah, um, just to bring it up, um when I've been I've been a manager, I lost count of how many years now. But I'm not I'm not like I'm. My official title is team lead, and so what that means to, to my organization is I'm I'm an engineer also, though so I do coding as and have tasks assigned to me as well as uh, leading other people. Um. And but it's um. But it's also a management role, so I'm doing like the uh, performance reviews and raises and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. But um. But at first the the notion i mean we had like this this rule of thumb of like you're supposed to spend about 30% of your time on management and 70% as, as an engineer like even at that i feel like i it was frustrating to me that i couldn't get as much engineering done as i could before as a manager because um and trying to find the balance of really how much time i should be spending on either i realized i just needed to talk to other people i needed to yeah. talk to other team leads and my manager to say what what are the expectations really um and to be okay with um uh just when i'm working on something just work on um so that i don't feel. and i mentioned that i had some guilt um when i'm working on management stuff like working on somebody's goals or their review or something i feel like there's engineering tasks that i'm not getting done right now and and then as a reverse, when I'm just working on a coding problem, I'm thinking I should be checking in with so and so because they maybe they're stuck on something. And just learning to be that was a learning curve for me to be okay with. Uh, no, I've I, I've scheduled my time today. I'm working on this, and right now I'm working on this, and I don't need to think about those other things right now. Those will those yeah. will come later. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, but it is difficult uh, the transition from IC to uh, to to management is, is a difficult change.
1: Yeah, no, it is. It is.
0: Uh, but, um, um, we could probably talk about all the challenges of, uh, of managing software teams for a long time, but is there, is there something you'd like to get in that we haven't gotten to yet?
1: Um, I mean, we, we kind of touched on it, uh, documentation, like having documentation is important. Um, one what, of the things, uh, we... software documentation or process documentation, or what do you mean? Both. Um, you know, okay. just knowing, uh, my, my team is all in on the Atlassian products. We've got Jira, we've got Confluence and we, we leverage those as much as we possibly can. And the, 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 uh, you know, you hear a lot of things about how awful Jira can be. And it's true. Like Jira can just be a nightmare to, to, to try to work through if it's not configured properly. The, the way you fix that is by having someone who can configure properly, prop, uh, properly part of the team that uses it and can see the, 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 the ways in which it is difficult to use and can fix it more quickly. Otherwise, what you get is someone deciding from on high what the workflow should be that doesn't actually work for anyone on the team. But because Jira integrates so tightly with Confluence, which is what we use for our documentation, every single issue that we have that comes through, like part of the issue work is Writing documentation, making sure that the you know for the reports in particular, every report needs to have a documentation page on it. Who's the owner of it? What does it do? What problem is it trying to solve? What issues are related to it? Some metadata mm. about like well, if someone has a question, like a frequently asked questions, because that's something that comes up a lot, right? When you have a report, well, what is this report even telling me? You know, well, it's telling you these things. Okay, so like building documentation processes or the 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 writing of documentation getting built into the process where you are delivering code is an important yeah. aspect of, you know, just, just everything. Cause again, coming back to the, you know, the code is written once and read a thousand times. Well, not everyone can read the code because not everyone has access to the source code, but what you can give them is a page that tells them, well, what does this web page do? What does this report do? What does this automation process do? Cause then yeah. that helps to answer questions. And when processes do change, you can refer back to that either as a developer or uh, a non-technical person and say, oh, well now I understand why this doesn't work anymore. It was always contingent upon the COVID test having exactly two names and we added three more COVID tests and that's why nothing's happening, which was a real thing that happened.
0: Huh. Yeah. And the more readable your documentation is, the less questions you get over email and For sure. phone calls and stuff. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. Probably good. Probably every minute you spend a, uh, Writing documentation, the uh, saves like an hour in the future of question answering answer. So, for sure. Uh, but cool. Sure. Well, yeah. um, thanks so much for joining us today and uh, talking about management stuff. Yeah. Um, thanks so for having me. Good luck with everything in the future. Thanks. Thank you, Ryan. Very interesting talk. Thank you, Robbar for sponsoring. Rollbar enables developers to proactively discover and resolve issues in their code, so they can work on continuous code improvement throughout the software lifecycle. Learn more at rollbar.com. Thank you, Patreon supporters. Join them at testandcode.com/support. All of those links are in the show notes at testandcode.com. That's all for now. Now go out and test something.